seeing you right now. I haven't teached, taught in an open, empty room for like over a year. And I have to admit, I did not miss it. And so uh, I miss you guys. I miss seeing you guys. Um, but I'm glad that our leaders can get some rest. They can recover, uh, make sure everyone's feeling well by next week. Prayerfully, we'll be back, uh, like I mentioned before. Um, but I want you right now to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, you know, we didn't want to just like not do tonight and just like leave you on your own on Wednesday night. We wanted to give you some content, to give you uh, truths from God's word uh, via online. And so tonight we're going to be continuing on, as you saw in the bumper video, uh, our series Summer of Life. Eight weeks in Romans chapter eight and tonight is week seven. And so next week is our grand finale of our series uh, in Romans chapter eight. Uh, but tonight's verses, I'm very, very, very excited for us to uh, dive into. So go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter eight. We're gonna be in verses 28 through 30 tonight. 28 through 30. If you don't have a Bible on you, you can uh, go ahead and use uh, another device to find it on the YouVersion app or even if you just Google Romans chapter eight, it's gonna come up. So um, I'll give you a couple seconds to go do that uh, right now. And uh, just side note, if you don't have a Bible in general, if you're like, I don't have one in my house, I've never had one, uh, go ahead and uh, comment now. Um, if you don't wanna comment out now, you can just talk to me next week, but I'd love to get you a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, I would love to grab one for you. So yeah, Romans chapter eight, verses 28 through 30. I'm very excited for the series that we've been in. I'm, I'm sad that it's coming to a close. It's been one of my favorite things that I've gotten to teach through uh, over the last couple of years. And um, the truths of God's word are always relevant, but there's some seasons in life where the truths, like specific truths in God's word just like show up at the perfect time. And for me, that was these verses this week. For the past couple of weeks, this has actually been the case. And maybe you guys have felt this too, but um, we plan our series sometimes if we're doing a really good job, weeks and months out. And so this was one of those series we determined back in you know April or May, and we said, let's do eight weeks in Romans chapter eight. Um, we'll do this awesome thing. And we'd write down which verses we're gonna teach what weeks. And for whatever reason, the Lord is sovereign over those teachings all the time. And sometimes the truths that I've prepared for and I've prepared become like really, really uh, applicable and relevant uh, based on just what has happened in the weeks or weeks prior. And uh, that's one of those examples tonight that I'm really excited to uh, show you guys. So. Let's review a little bit. It's been a little bit. We had camp. We uh, had stories last week. So it's been a little bit of time since we've been like in this series. So let's review what we've learned. Uh, maybe you can glance down at your Bible with me. So looking at the past few weeks in our summer series, we, we learned uh, in you know, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, we learned that we as Christians have a new identity in Jesus. We have a new identity as adopted sons and daughters of God. And because of that identity, verses 18 and beyond have showed us that we have a future glory that we are called to. 
There is a uh, current reality of our new status in Jesus Christ, but there is also a future glory that awaits you and I in heaven. And Paul says the, uh, the problems of this earth, the sufferings of this earth, they're not worth comparing to what is gonna be lying ahead. And then the week right before camp, we learned something amazing that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of pain, even in our present sufferings, Jesus says, God's word shows us that his Holy Spirit is available to help us in times of weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So that's where we've been. That's what we've, that's what we've been reviewing. We talked about the Holy Spirit weeks ago. We learned about our new identity, our future glory, our current reality, how we can pray to God, ask for God for things. And tonight, look at verses 28 through 30 as I read, as I read them. And we know, Continuing on, end, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like I said, the Lord is sovereign over uh, what we teach here. Like when we, when we bring some of these truths, uh, you know, when we write them down, when we realize what we're going to be teaching, we don't always know what's going to be happening around the times that we prepare. And man, tonight's verses, I think, are going to be really, really impactful. If you would just pay attention, if you would just listen to these truths. Tonight, we're looking at the reality that you and I were chosen by God before the foundation of the world before we knew who we were, before we knew what life was, God knew us. And man, we, we know from these truths, uh, specifically Romans chapter 20, uh, 8, 28, it says that all things work out together for good. I know that there's some people who are feeling weak, maybe some people who are feeling anxious, maybe some people who uh, woke up to a disturbing headline. Uh, there might be some people who woke up to a text message that was uh, concerning in the past couple weeks and days. But I'm here to tell you that tonight, the truths of God's word stand strong. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you and I were called to that purpose. We get to experience that goodness. You and I were chosen. We were chosen by God. So um, pray with me um, in this moment. And then we're gonna continue on in the, in the scriptures. God, we love you. Thank you for this night. Um, we miss getting to gather. Um, I don't like teaching to an empty room. It feels weird. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me right now as we are going to uh, look at your word, um, whether we're in our home, on our, our cell phone, on a laptop, with a friend, with an iPad, I don't care. Uh, whatever it is right now, God, I pray that we would focus in and we would listen to your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, three verses tonight. Three verses tonight, and there's three truths that we're gonna take away from them. There's gonna be three statements that we can confidently say as Christians because of these verses. Three things that you and I can cling to. We can say, this is true about me now and forever because of what God's word says about me. We rejoice in our identity, right? We learned about that a few weeks ago. We wait with hopeful expectation. We call out from God, uh, to God from help from the Holy Spirit. And then 28, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his 
purpose. Man, sometimes it's easy to look at a, a verse in like a micro, microscope. I was gonna say microwave, that's not true. Uh, a microscope and, and to kind of dissect the words and syllables and phrases. But sometimes we have to remember the, the grand context of the verses surrounding the specific passage. And we've been doing that tonight. I hope that you've uh, been able to look back at some of the verses before that. But we know that this is specifically Paul continuing on in his argument, saying that we as Christians are looking forward to the day that we get to see Jesus face to face. We have help from God now, and he is continuing on in this encouragement. And he's saying, even in the things, even in the sufferings, he describes in verse 18, even in the weakness, he describes in verse 26, he says, even in the midst of those things, God is working all of those things out for good. All of those weakness, weak moments, all of that pain, all of that suffering, you know, you have God to help you through that. But even in those moments, God is working those things out for good. And he has called you to a purpose. I don't know about you, but Romans 8 verse 28, I've um, commonly said, is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, Christian mom and dad. I uh, grew up going to church every single week, going to youth group every week, Christian school, all of it. And so I heard a bajillion Bible verses growing up. I was actually graded on, and Christian school kids might know this, maybe some homeschoolers know this. Uh, I had a Bible verse I had to memorize every week Right? There's a Bible verse, Friday morning, typically, my Bible teacher, um, you know, you'd have to memorize a portion of scripture and you were like, graded on it. And um, I remember very specifically early on, this was one of the memory verses. And, you know, there's pros and cons of being in a Christian, you know, saturated in Christian culture since you were born. And one of the negatives to that is sometimes scripture loses its weight. You know, it's just something that happens. And that happened to me in my life. And that's part of my story. Um, But I remember very young reading this passage, reading verse 28, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I memorized it in the NIV, so sometimes I'm probably going to say it in both both ways, so don't hate me for that. Um, But I remember reading this as a kid, and I was thinking, can that mean what it, can can that mean what it says it means? Wait, is that, is that true? Can that really mean what it's saying. And the weight of that truth really latched onto me from a really, really young age. And man, the truth of uh, Romans 8, 28 has been an anchor in my life when the storms of this life are overwhelming me. The truths of this verse have given me peace when I have anxiety. The truths of, of this verse have given me, you know, a firm foundation to stand on when everything else was kind of going crazy. And this is a truth that you can take from this verse. Looking at Romans uh, 8.28, you and I can confidently say, as a Christian, I find hope in God's providence as he works all things together for good. As a Christian, I find hope in God's providence as he works all things together for good. That's something that you can confidently say when you read Romans 8.28. I can find my hope in God's providence as he works all things together for good. This verse has been an anchor for me. This is a verse that grabbed my heart from a young age. The truths of this uh, verse have been uh, fresh on my mind uh, throughout many difficult seasons. And I've needed to go to this verse this week. 
I needed to go to this verse in the past seven days. And I admit that the truths of this verse um, were not always draining in my heart. And there was anxiety, there was difficulty, there were uh, situations that were hard to talk about and hard to think through. And there were moments I was convicted where I was reading that in the next following verses. And I had to ask myself, do I really believe that truth? Am I acting as a Christian right now like my hope is found in God's providential care? Am I acting right now in my life in a way where I'm confident that God's plans and that God's purposes and God's goodness is prevailing in life right now? I've had to have moments where I've prayed, looked at this, meditated on this truth. Maybe you guys have too. I know I can be easily distracted in life and sometimes things seem bigger than God. Sometimes things and situations uh, pop up into the, like right in front of us and they kind of, uh, we have blinders on to the rest of life and we're just focusing on that one thing that seems really, really bad. But oftentimes God uses those very things in our lives to show us that his word is true. He uses those things that maybe we don't even want to deal with. He uses those things to remind us of who he is. And even the bad situations can be used for good, which we'll talk about in a second, but can remind us of the goodness of God. Man, that has convicted me this past week. That's convicted me of, the, uh, you know, of my thoughts, my fears, my anxieties. It has uh, calmed me and convicted me at the very same time. God can work all things out for good. Always, always. God can work all things together for good. And now you and I can't. We can't on our own strength make all things work together for good, but God can. And he has called us to a purpose, verse 28 shows us. Growing up, I used to think, you know, like bad things happen. That's just kind of how life is. But one day, you know, life was going to be fine in heaven. But for right now, life's going to be pretty bad all the way up until the moment I see God. Right? And like, there's no hope in this world, right? We have hope in Jesus, but he's coming back one day. We get to be with him one day. But the truths of this verse show us and highlight for us that everything could be made right because of God. Even in this life, God can work bad things out for good. God can take the things that we think are broken and make them good again. God can take the, uh, even the mistakes that we've made and work them sovereignly out for good. And he can work all things together for good in your life and in my life. Christians, we have a not so secret hope in knowing that God is in control of all things and that God is working all things together for good. And so I know what you're saying right now. You're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does goodness mean? We know for that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. You know, this is important to know that God is sovereign and God's goodness is often different than how we would describe goodness for ourselves. There might be moments and seasons in life where you say, okay, God, well, my relationship with thy uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, that was good for me. And now we broke up. And so that wasn't good. Or God, uh, you know, it was good for me to want to go to that school, but then I didn't get into that school. Or God, it was good for me, uh, you know, to be living where I used to live, but then my dad lost his job and we had to go somewhere else. And that was not good for me. And we can ask ourselves constantly in seasons and moments uh, of difficulty and pain, we could say, okay, God, I know you are good, but like this thing right now totally is not good. 
for me. And we have to remember as believers, as people who are dedicated to God's word, that God's goodness transcends our current emotions and our current understanding. God's goodness transcends our current emotions and our current understanding of the universe, our current understanding of life. God's goodness transcends all of those things. His goodness is often uh, overseen over an entire lifetime. I've noticed that some of the most joyful Christians I've ever met are uh, people who have been Christians for many, many, many years. Often, um, you know, older believers in my life, I find the most joyful because they have looked back on their lives and they have seen the goodness of God even through situations that they thought were bad. So I have to admit, as a young person, it's hard to believe some of these truths. It is. Like age is a factor in that thing. As a 13-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as a 24-year-old like myself, it is sometimes hard to look currently and say, okay, I can't see the goodness of God right now in my life. Can he really be working all things out for good? But as we grow, as we continue to stay faithful to God, there's been plenty of moments in my life where I look back on the situations that I would currently then describe as bad. And I say, God, thank you for your goodness in that breakup. God, thank you for your goodness in that reality of my uh, dad losing his job. God, thank you for your goodness in the season of pain because I got to see your goodness, not just in my current state of emotion, but throughout your whole sovereign plan. And there may be times where we see it after many years. And there may be days that we have to trust the Lord on this truth, that he is good and he is working all things together for his good, right? Our good, the way we define good is so like narrow-minded and compared it to God's infinite knowledge. Like it really is. Like the things that I, if I planned a perfect life for myself as a 15 and 17 year old and an 18 year old, I would have just like gone the complete opposite way than what I had thought. I would have planned a perfect, you know, painless life for myself. And I would not be here standing before you guys right now, but God's sovereignty, he has worked all things together for good. And we know that those who love God, Christians, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Two things in there, his goodness, his purpose. Not our goodness, not our purpose or plan, God's. And all things work out for people who love God, aka Christians, God, people who God has called to himself, his goodness, his purpose. Which one of those things are you having a hard time believing right now? Are you having a hard time right now believing his goodness? Or are you having a hard time believing his purpose? Or maybe you're having a hard time believing both of those things. His goodness and his purpose always prevail in our lives. We know that those who love God, all things work together. Colossians 1, there's this brilliant, amazing verse that says, Christ is reconciling all things to himself. This is the very character and nature of God, someone who fixes, someone who heals, someone who brings peace and unity when things are broken. And ultimately we have a hope that one day he will finish the job. It will be completely done. 
But we know that as we live in the great in-between, as we live here in 2021 in Vancouver, Washington or Portland, Oregon or Camas or wherever you're at, you can know that maybe things aren't the way they should be right now. But we take joy in knowing that this is the ultimate plan for God's salvation, that he is working all things together for his good and for his purpose, his goodness and his purpose. Your pain isn't pointless. Your pain isn't pointless right now. It's not purposeless. Your life isn't without meaning. Your experiences aren't simply random and coincidental screw-ups and victories. You have been called according to his purposes, Christian. I hope you believe that tonight. I hope that you believe that. So maybe you're looking at this text and you're like, okay, is this some like new idea that Paul's spewing out here, right? Like post-Jesus, like, okay, you know, Paul's just kind of like creating this new argument for uh, himself. And the answer is no, that this idea has been present all throughout scripture. And if you don't believe me, I want you to listen to this. Genesis, Genesis, the very beginning, where our story starts, where the story of humanity and God's relationship with humans starts, we see the story of a man named Joseph. And Joseph is this guy who um, is, is favored by his parents. He is like greatly loved by his mom and dad. And his parents think he's so cool that they give him like this cloak of many colors, which basically just means like, dude, uh, you're the coolest guy I've ever met. Like my son, who I greatly love, you get this cloak and you're gonna be better than all your brothers. And um, so that's a story that's found in Genesis. And then as the story continues, we see uh, that the Lord has providentially given Joseph these dreams. And, and the Lord reveals to Joseph that he is going to have the sun, moon, and stars bow down to him. This like crazy, insane dream that he has. And uh, Joseph's a little cocky and he likes to tell his brothers about this. He's like, hey, guess what? Guess what? Good things are gonna follow me, right? The Lord has promised these good things to me. And then all of a sudden, his brothers, people he had relationship with, the people that he was looking up to, the people that he was supposed to be protected from or protected by, the people that were supposed to be guiding him, directing him, giving him direction, giving him encouragement, they decide to sell Joseph into slavery, to lie to their parents and say that a wild animal must have eaten him and they sell Joseph into slavery. They profit off of his pain. They benefit off this insane amount of pain for Joseph. It's like he was dead. It's like he wasn't even a person anymore. No cloak, no identity, no status. Now you're stuck as a servant. Man, in that moment, I'm sure Joseph was wondering, what was that dream about? What was that thing about that God promised? Is that still true? We see in the story of Joseph, and I really pray that we get to cover this sometime soon in Citizens, we see in the story of Joseph, him then uh, rise to power. We see him in this moment after he was caught, you know, after he was caught in slavery, as he caught in this uh, terrible situation, we see the Lord bring him out of it. And now he has favor uh, amongst the Egyptians in the ancient world at that time. And he rises to power. He has uh, men reporting to him. He has things that he needs. He is well liked by other people. And I bet in that moment, he was thinking, maybe this is what God was showing me. Maybe this was like the thing where they, you know, God showed me that I was going to have power and I was going to have influence. And then all of a sudden there's false accusations brought against him. And Joseph is uh, convicted of a crime he did not commit. His reputation's tarnished, his reputation's ruined. And guess where he finds himself? Back in jail. 
And so now Joseph's been in jail. He's been in the pit. He's been in the worst of the worst, like twice now, right? From being in an awesome spot to being in a terrible spot. And he's wondering, where's God in the midst of this? Where is God in the midst of this pain? And is it possible that this could really mean what it says? That God, like, could this really be for my good? Could this be good? And we see again a story of deliverance where sovereignly God has given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And then Joseph interprets dream and again is once again found in a position of power. His brothers, after many years, don't recognize Joseph in this moment but they go for help and assistance from Joseph, now who is a ruler, someone who is in charge of this land. And Joseph reveals himself. He forgives his brothers after like a little bit of teasing them, kind of. He forgives his brothers. And then there's this one verse, that short story, all that to say this one thing, this one point that I want you to get. The story of Joseph ends in this amazing verse in Genesis 50 chapter 20. As for you, Joseph's talking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Someone who saw the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, saw evil committed against him. And he says, what you meant evil against me, as for you, you, my brothers, you meant this for bad, but God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But truth like that's hard to believe in the pit. But the same God of the pit is the same God at the mountaintop, right? We've sung that before in, in a, a song here at Citizens. The God of the mountains, the God of the valley. When you're in the pit and when you're in the, you know, the victories, when you're in the difficult times, when you're in the awesome times, God is working all things together. And what people mean for evil, God meant for good. So we read this and we think when things are hard, how can this be true? God is working all things together for good. God is working sovereignly in the lives of all of us and in the lives of uh, the believers. Joel chapter two, verse 25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God doesn't even, God, you know, he, he doesn't just say, okay, cool, I'm gonna make things right. He says, I'm going to restore the things that are broken. This is God's character. I'm referencing all these other verses to show that this has always been who God is and this is always who he will be. One who restores, one who heals, even when we can't see it, even when our version of good is wiped off the table, even when we are in the bad moments in life, we can know that even if God delivers us, we talked about this in Daniel, if God delivers us or not, we know that God is good and we worship him because of it. This has been a verse for me in my life that has just rocked me, that has just floored me throughout lives. And it's been challenging for me this week, even to believe those truths sometimes. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me. I've asked the Lord to convict me, to remind me of these truths. The Lord works all things together for good. We can't do that. We can't be the one to fix everything. We're not the great healer. We're not the great restorer, but God is. Making and redeeming things that have been broken. We can't do that. We can't do that, but the Lord can. So oftentimes in life, we think I need to make this work. I need to fix this. 
I need to heal this relationship. I need to figure out this situation that has gone bad. I need to, you know, raise this amount of money. I need to do this or that or whatever. But the Lord it would be in this moment saying that he is the one who makes all things work together for good. His goodness and his purpose for you. That's true. Look at verse 29. So we learned, of course, from that truth as a Christian, I can find hope in God's providence, right? His sovereign hand over all things as he works all things together for good. That's the first point. Look at verse 29 and 30. I'll read them both together. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's two truths in these two verses I want us to grasp. Number one from verse 29, as a Christian, I am chosen by God to become more like Jesus. As a Christian, I am chosen by God to become more like Jesus. I'll give you a second to write that down. As a Christian, I am chosen by God to become more like Jesus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So this is one of the verses in scripture that we have to look at with, uh, you know, our theology hats on, right? You know, I joke sometimes on Wednesdays to like pull up the theology hat and put it on. And maybe you could do that right now if you'd like to humor me and just put your fake theology hat on. Um, We as Christians, sometimes, depending on which theological camp you might fall into, And I know there's probably people watching from all different sides of the spectrum on just like how we would look at verses like this. We have to look at this verse as a Christian and we have to be, uh, you know, we have to be coming at this verse, understanding the Lord's ultimate sovereignty in our lives, of course. And then we also have to look at this verse with the perspective of where, uh, what we are being, what we are being called to uh, in, in the context of this Uh, in the reference to like predestination and to be conformed, uh, all these things. Um, What are we being predestined for? Predestined to be uh, turned more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been foreknown and predestined to, to become Christians, to be uh, looking more like Jesus every single day. And so I just have to note, if you use these verses sometimes, and I did this all the time as a kid, um, if you are using these verses uh, to kind of justify your theological position and then just whack people over the head uh, with the Bible, kind of like, look, here's why you are, uh, you know, worshiping wrong or doing this wrong or you don't understand the Bible clear enough. Look at this. Like if you're doing that with verses like this, I'd say you're kind of missing the goal, which would be to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. And so this is a verse that we can pray through, we can kind of debate, we can talk through. I believe there's truths that we're going to talk about here, but we have to approach this with the, with the end goal in mind, to be more and more like Jesus. So how can we be more like Jesus to one another as a body of Christians, as a body of believers? We can have our theological preferences. We can have our theological accuracy. We can have our theological uh, you know, understanding and our books on our shelves. But if we kind of act like jerks, what's the point? And so I always try and preference these verses with things like that. So for those whom he foreknew, for those who he uh, foreknew. So what does that word mean? To know someone 
was a really intimate term in scripture. It was to, to truly understand someone, to know everything about them, to know that they had your back, to know that they had good things for you, to, to know someone. That's what that word means in scripture oftentimes. And so as Christians, and, and as, we, as we read this, it says that God foreknew you and me. So what does that mean? And it's an, intimate, it's an intimate and personal thing to know someone. Basically, all this means is God knew you before you knew you. I'll say that again. God knew you before you knew you. Before you arrived on this planet and like knew what consciousness was, knew who you are, knew that you like had a body and all that. Before any of that happened, God knew you, Christian. God knew you. I find this very comforting. I find this very loving. Again, we can uh, debate implications of this all day, but this is true. And this is a loving thing from God. God knew you before you did. God knew who you were before you knew you. He knew your flaws. He knew uh, your strengths, your weaknesses. He knew you. For those whom he foreknew, what did he do then? He also predestined them to what? Be conformed to the image of Jesus, meaning he uh, called people to become followers of Jesus, predestined. God set up a plan for you before you set up a plan for yourself. God established your steps before you and I could even realize we could walk, right? Like there's these amazing implications. When your mom and dad ask you when you're like four or five years old, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grew up? And you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe a firefighter, maybe like a police officer, maybe the president, stuff like that, you know? Before you could even think those thoughts, God knew you and God had established a plan for you to what? Become a Christian, to become more like Jesus in his ultimate sovereignty. And again, we can debate implications of free will versus predestination, all that. We're not gonna do that right now. And it's kind of nice that we're not in person tonight because then I know just people would be fighting about it after this message. Um, but we know that God is sovereign over all things, that he exists outside of time and that he exists in a place where he knows you intimately. I find this very comforting as a Christian. As a Christian, I am chosen by God to become more and more like Jesus. Again, Christian leaders, church leaders have been debating this for thousands of years. And uh, I don't feel quite qualified to give a definitive statement, but I do know this. Uh, God loves you. He has chosen you to become more like himself. That's who he is. He's a God who seeks to restore, to redeem, and to rescue, to re reconcile all things to himself, to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's talk about Jesus. In order that he, Jesus, would be become, uh, he would be, uh, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The first one born, many scholars believe the first one who got a perfected body, the first uh, born uh, into internal glorification. Uh, there's again, some debate on that, but Jesus Christ is the preeminent image of God. We see in Colossians. So a lot of like connection here to Colossians, I'm realizing, um, but we were called to be made like that one, the one who is Jesus. That would, that's what that verse means. As a Christian, I'm chosen to become more like Jesus. I'm chosen by God to become more like Jesus. And so how is that going? How is looking more and more like Jesus going? How's looking more and more like the image of Jesus every single day going for you? When you're called to be a Christian, the Lord is the one who's constantly sanctifying you. The Lord and his sovereignty is working, again, all the bad and good situations in your life for his good and for his purpose. 
But how are you doing right now in your life? The post-camp high, so to speak. Are you becoming more like Jesus on your day-to-day lives? Have you been making wise decisions? Have you been embracing the Lord by faith? Have you been preaching the gospel to yourself? Have you been spending time in his word? I hope that you are. I hope that you have been. That's what this community is about. That's what your small group leaders are here for. And uh, that's what we're about here at Citizens. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, the last verse of the night, and then we're gonna be done. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. More big words for us tonight. We're gonna dive into all all of those terms, but here's your last point. As a Christian, I am secure in God because of Jesus. So as a Christian, I'm chosen by God to become more like Jesus. And then verse 30 shows us, as a Christian, I am secure because of Jesus. The firstborn amongst uh, many brothers, the firstborn of all creation, Colossians says, that first person, Jesus, he made it possible for us to look more like him. And now we are secure in God because of Jesus. And now you and I are called, we are justified, and we are glorified. So we have these kind of like three different terms here. Look, look at the, or sorry, five different terms that Paul kind of just strings this argument along. There's no evidence to support that there's any uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, there's no evidence to support that these things don't connect to one another. They do connect to one another, is what I was trying to say. These all connect to one another. So he foreknew, he predestined, and then he uh, called, and then he justified, and then he glorified. All this to say we have security in God because of what Jesus has done. Called, what does that mean? God's Holy Spirit captured your attention. God's Holy Spirit captured your attention. That's what called means. God's Holy Spirit captured your attention of your sinful heart and he revealed himself to you. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus in this room, you had a moment and sometimes you might not know specifically when it was. Some people have very specific stories. Some people remember a season of their life. Uh, Some people uh, just remember very vague dates. But like um, as a Christian, when you were called by God's Holy Spirit and those who were called were what? Justified. The moment you become a Christian, the moment you turn from your sins and embrace Jesus by faith, you are justified before the Lord. Which goes back to say what Paul was saying in verse one of this chapter. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that was what he started this chapter off with. There's no condemnation found in Jesus because you were justified because of the works of Jesus. Now all the way in verse 30 is showing us. Again, we spread these texts out for many, many weeks, but they're all connected. We were justified the moment you became a follower of of, of Jesus, of Christ. And then those who were justified were glorified. This is our future hope waiting for us in heaven. Glorification. The day when the physical aches and, and injuries, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the emotional weakness, the fatigue, the sadness, All of those things are gone. That's the day that we get to be glorified. That we have a new body, a new heaven, a new earth, all of these things. That's our future. 
Paul just brings the story of salvation together in these five brilliant, amazing, like terms that we yell at each other for sometimes at Bible college. And I'm not sure why, but like he brings all these together to remind us of this, whom he justified, he glorified. And you might be here right now, you're like, I don't feel glorified. Like I feel like I'm not like in heaven. Like I don't feel that right now. Is this like a current thing? Yes, yes, and no, yes. It's here, not yet, is what we've said before. It's the term that a lot of, again, church fathers, theologians say often. It's the great in between, the great, this is a true thing that we can say. And this is also something we look forward to as well. For those who are justified, he also glorified. And we wait for that day with patience. We've talked about that a lot here at Citizens. We wait for it with patience that day we get to see him face to face. So again, all these to say, all these words, all these terms that we use, we, we believe as Christians that the Lord is the one who has chosen us, that the Lord in his sovereignty has chosen you and me to become more like Jesus. I find this very comforting. I am chosen by God and I'm secure in God because of Jesus. I'm secure and I'm chosen I'm chosen by the Lord. So as we're closing here, these verses are an upward call towards God, towards heaven, towards our future glory. And they're a call towards God's sovereignty throughout the midst of all things. His sovereignty in our story as Christians and his sovereignty over the things that happen that aren't so great that we wish didn't happen. God is in the midst of all these things. It's an upward call towards a future immovable position that we have as believers, sovereign king overall. Are you treating God right now like he's your sovereign king? Are you treating God right now that he is your sovereign king? And I know you're thinking right now, how would I know that? How would I know if God's my sovereign king or not? Somebody who trusts that the Lord is their sovereign king is someone who is constantly resting in him. Somebody who trusts the Lord as their sovereign king over their life, over the one who's gonna carry them to heaven as the one who's going to carry them through the highs and lows of this life. The someone who believes that is going to be stamped and just overflowing with peace because of that truth. But the person who believes everything is up for themselves, the person who is trying to believe that they can be their own sovereign king, they have a constant fear of measuring up. They have a constant confusion, wondering if their decision that they make here or there is going to be what gets them into that decision after that and then the decision after that. They have a constant fear of like the high stakes of this life. Oh my gosh, if I don't say that correctly, if I don't do that correctly, then like maybe my whole life will be screwed up forever. That's what somebody who isn't ruled by a sovereign king acts like. It's all up to you. It's all up to yourself. And we serve a God and Paul draws this amazing picture that it is not up to us. The things that happen that are bad and good, God works together for his good and his purpose. The day that you and I found Christ, God foreknew you and he has called you to continue in that path towards the day we get to be glorified with the Lord. The attitude of a person who believes everything is under the sovereign reign of God will bring all of their stress to the feet of God. 
The person who believes that everything is under the sovereign reign of God will constantly bring their fear of being good enough or not being good enough towards the feet of God. The person who believes that everything is under the sovereign reign of God will bring their confusion, their doubts, their concerns before the sovereign feet of the king. That's what somebody who believes in God's sovereignty does. And that's what we ought to be as believers. We, are, uh, we found hope in, in God's providence. We find hope in the fact that we're chosen by God to be more like Jesus. We find hope in the fact that you're secure because of what Jesus has done. These verses have been an anchor in my life. These verses have been uh, scriptures that have been challenging in my life. And these verses are, I, I hope, verses that you find comfort in in the next few weeks, the next few days. God is a sovereign king. He rules over all. All things work together for his good and his purpose. If you're struggling right now, like we love you, like we missing you tonight. I'd love to talk to you tonight. Maybe in the chat, if you just, you know, need prayer, we can have uh, believers praying for you right now. But if you are struggling with something, if you're here in this moment, there's this bad situation, you can reach out uh, to me, uh, to my wife, um, we would love to be praying for you. We would love to be uh, with you in battle. You could wait to tell us next week as well, um, but we're here for you. You know, sometimes talk of sovereignty, talk of God ruling over all things can sometimes seem like a band-aid over like, oh, things are bad, don't worry about it. Like, it's gonna be okay, but like we're here for you in the difficult moments and so is God. We're here for you. That's why we're a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. We're not just a person learning to live like Jesus. Like that's not awesome. A community of people learning to live for Jesus Christ because community helps you see things you don't see. Community helps you uh, pray for you and act through, like help you work through things that you don't know you need to work through. So that's what we're here together as a community. God loves you. God cares for you. And I hope that these truths have been impactful. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for the opportunity to meet online. God, I pray when we look at the headlines and we're concerned, I pray that we would trust your sovereign hand. God, I pray that when we look at test results uh, for physical uh, you know, problems, God, I pray that we would trust you in the midst of those things. God, in the midst of seasons of pain and difficulty, God, I pray that we would trust you. Help us to know that your spirit's there to help us but your word reminds us that you were the one who called to us. You are the one who is working all things together for good. You are the one who is our sovereign king. Be with our leaders, be with our students, be with our friends, our fellow staff members, my fellow staff members. God, I pray for them right now for uh, comfort and for healing. Uh, we love you. We bless your name. Help us to live these truths uh, out this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.